Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, October the 14th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this will be the 26th week that we're talking about C.F.W. Walther's lectures on Law and Gospel that he delivered to seminarians. And we're taking a look at his 26th evening lecture that he did on May the 1st, 1885. Now, what he was doing, and this was occurring on Friday nights, once a week, he was talking to seminarians preparing for the ministry, and he was giving them insight. Now, this particular part we're going to start with is an introduction to thesis number 15, and he does two evening lectures on 15. So this will be the first one. Here's how he starts off. In order to be a true Christian, genuine faith is essential. However, in order to be a true preacher, genuine faith is not enough. Well, that got my curiosity right away. A preacher needs more than faith, and he explains what he meant by that. The preacher must have the ability to express in proper terms the things that need to be believed. This is very, very important that it's one thing to have faith. A, 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 a five-year-old child or younger can have faith particularly in light of infant baptism, but you wouldn't put a child of that age as the head of a Bible study. Similarly, preachers need to have the ability to present the faith in words that are clear, plain, unmistakable, and adequate. That would be the process of a sermon, for example. Now, rationalist teachers, and those are the ones that like to use their reason rather than the Bible, they often refer to repentance and conversion as really amending or reforming one's life. In fact, they talked about sanctification. And remember, first, you're justified, that means you're declared righteous, and sanctification is your response to these gifts from Jesus Christ. They believe that sanctification is walking in the path of virtue. And, and so they're thinking that your works really make a difference. However, even believing theologians can sometimes use specific theological terms in such a way that they are proven to be offensive to the listeners. For example, they may avoid speaking of original sin or of proclaiming the wrath of God against sinners or referring to the blindness of natural man something that all people are subject to in human nature. Well, why don't they like speaking about those things in a sermon? Because 
they do not like to speak of the devil prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, which, by the way, is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. They are unwilling to speak some of the clear words of God, of the fire of hell, of eternal torment and damnation. And the reason they don't do that is they don't want to upset people. Now, there's no doubt that these preachers, they do wish to convert people, but they want to do so using false terminology. What, what CFW Walther does, he uses analogies, and I really like doing that in a sermon to make it clear what we're talking about. Here's the analogy, analogy he uses about even preachers who want to convert people but do not use proper language. They are like sorry doctors who do not like to prescribe a bitter medicine to weak patients. Or if they do prescribe it, they add so much sugar to it that the patient does not taste the bitter medicine with the result that its effect is spoiled. And I know of pastors who refuse to speak on certain moral issues in sermons because they don't want to cause a split in the congregation. C.F.W. Walther says that is really dangerous when theologians use terms that sound okay, but really are misused. For example, they may use phrases that genuine Orthodox Lutheran teachers use, but they're given new and twisted meanings. Let me give you an example. And this comes from the Reformation, of course. You can have, at that time, a Roman Catholic priest and a Lutheran pastor say, by grace we are saved. But they mean something totally different by the word grace. The Lutheran pastor is talking about God's gracious attitude where he gives you what you do not deserve, the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness. Whereas in Roman theology, grace is a substance that God gives you, a power so that you are enabled to do good works. And those good works please God, they move him to love you, and maybe even to save you. And so that's really important to understand, that you can hear the same words being used, but really in quite different ways. Uh, you'll recall that recently, one of the lectures by C.F.W. Walther was about faith. It is wrong to say that I'm saved in view of my faith, as though faith is something I have decided to do, and it becomes the foundation of my salvation. No. So you, you can hear two preachers talk about, yeah, we're saved by faith, but the one means, no, faith isn't the reason I'm saved. It's the gift God has given me to trust the promises that Jesus Christ has saved me. 
Whereas the other preacher will be talking about, well, you know you're saved because you have faith. And, and that's really quite a shame. So what Walther is trying to do to the students is say this. At the end of your theological training, those of you who have faithfully applied yourselves will know not only what the true doctrine is, but also how it must be presented. That's the key to proper sermons. And so that's kind of the introduction as he says, now in our 15th thesis, we will study an example that shows how destructive it is to express oneself incorrectly. So let me read number 15. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you turn the gospel into a preaching of repentance. Wow. In, in fact, I, I, I think a lot of pastors do that uh, incorrectly because they know that Jesus talks about in Mark, repent and believe the gospel. So they may give the impression that when you repent, that is the foundation of your salvation. As though that repentance is not done by a preaching of the law, but gets you to a point where you are so distressed over your sins that you decide to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the problem is, is that the words in the Bible often can have more than one meaning. For example, the word law could have about almost a dozen different meanings. When you read the word law, you have to look at the context. So if the text says, and Moses brought the law down from Mount Sinai, you know what is being talked about is namely the Ten Commandments. But if it says that Moses told the people the law that they should sacrifice animals, then you know it's talking about the ceremonial laws. Or when Israel has a law that if you kill someone, you can rush to a city, and if you get there, you are somewhat innocent, that would be civil law. And then there's times where the law is the first use of the law. That's what the government does. The second use of the law, that's what the church does in accusing people of their sin. And the third use of the law, which the church does when people ask, what is the will of God for my life at this time? And it informs them. And, and so then you got the word law when we're talking about nature. It's a law of nature that the sun comes up in the morning, things like that. So there's an example where the word law can have a bunch of different meanings. Now, Walther goes into a discussion of the word repentance. It also 
has different meanings in the Bible. And the way we distinguish it is there is a narrow sense, which means the knowledge of sin and heartfelt sorrow and contrition. And then there is the wider sense. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So when John the Baptist uses repentance, talking about that baptism, he obviously does not mean faith. Otherwise, his statement would be unnecessary re repetition. In Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel. So repent is different than belief. When Jesus refers to repentance a lot of times, he's referring to the effects of the preaching of the law. Since people have become alarmed over their sins, boy, that's not sufficient in order to be saved. Because how many people, even atheists, can become alarmed over what they have said, what they have thought, what they have done. What needs to come next is faith in a heart that believes that God takes away the punishment of those sins. This is also true about the word gospel. In the narrow sense, there is a proper meaning which simply means the good news and the benefits that you have received because of the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That's the narrow sense of the word gospel. But the word also can refer in the wider sense, meaning, well, the preaching of the church, including both law and gospel. A good example to find that is in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, well, you are all failing because even though you may not commit murder, you may have had the thought of it or said words that hurt people. So when the Apostle Paul, for example, talks about whoever believes in God is not condemned. He does not come into judgment. He's there talking about the narrow sense of the word gospel, the doctrine that he had proclaimed and is very, very important. So in Romans 1.16, let me give you another example of the gospel in the narrow sense. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You also have Ephesians 6.15, which speaks of the gospel of peace. Now there the word gospel is used, but the law does not bring peace. It only brings unrest. And so in this context, 
the apostle is speaking of the gospel in the narrow sense. That is the glad tidings that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. So Walter is saying, you're mingling law and gospel horribly. If you turn the gospel of Christ, that is the gospel into, in the narrow sense, into a preaching of repentance. And then he has some quotations from the confessions of the Lutheran church. Uh, for example, article 12 of the apology of the Augsburg Confession. They don't mean I'm sorry for it, but a defense of it. For in these two parts, there stands the summary of the gospel. First, it tells us, improve yourselves, thus denouncing everyone as a sinner. Second, it offers forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, salvation, every blessing, and the Holy Spirit through Christ by whom we are born again. Now, Melanchthon wrote this, and he's using the word gospel as he indicates in the wider sense. And then he uses the gospel in the narrow sense, talking about the salvation of people. So, a lot of times, people will get the impression that repentance is why we are saved. For example, when we do the Lord's Supper, I often would do the matin service, which doesn't have any liturgy for the Lord's Supper in it. So after the sermon, we would turn to the liturgy of the Lord's Supper in one of the other liturgical rites, and we would begin, though, with a confession of our sins. And the preaching upon this your confession, your sins are forgiven. And when people hear that, they may get the impression that, well, it's because I confess my sins that I am saved. No, that is not correct. In fact, one of the great heresies of the church is called antinomianism. That's a teaching where people don't really need to hear the law in the way that is stated. They'll say stuff like this, and this is by a man named Johann Agricola. For the gospel of Christ teaches the wrath of God from heaven, and at the same time, the righteousness that is valid in the sight of God. So there's a good example where the law is made part of the gospel. Paul declares that everybody carries in their heart the condemnation because they observe the judgments of the holy and righteous God everywhere. And it's only after a preaching of the law does the Apostle Paul take up the gospel. So, Agricola interpreted the Apostle's words 
to mean that the wrath of God is revealed in the gospel. But he indulges in foolish talk when he calls the gospel a preaching of repentance. Then Melanchthon had made some mistakes later on in his ministry. We talked about one of them where he said, the people who are saved, there must be something within them that God recognizes to give them salvation. That, that's a terrible teaching. And those who followed him were called Philippists. And they often took over the teaching of Agricola. In fact, the, the worst of these was Gaspar Cruciger the Younger. Now, his father had been an excellent theologian. And at one time, Luther had even talked about him becoming his own successor. But unfortunately, his son did not turn out well. In fact, in 1570, he wrote this. In the office of the gospel, God wants to terrify people by the preaching of repentance which reveals both all the sins that are set forth in the law and also the saddest of all that is expressed in the gospel, namely the failure to know the Son of God, that is, to despise him. But this is not proper gospel preaching because the gospel is the preaching of consolation. The law has a purpose. Yes, it rebukes sin, including unbelief. And we find that even in the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But when God calls a person to his grace, believe in my grace, trust my promises, it is the law and the commandment to believe and trust in him but the gospel does not command me in any way. And the reason is, think of a newborn infant. Do you command the infant to eat its food, to wear the clothes you give it, to sleep in the crib? No. It's given those as gifts. And it's not that they accept the command and obey it, but they receive the free gifts. So it's very important to understand that there are some theologians who oppose the Lutheran point of view in giving the impression that the law is also part of the gospel. In fact, the Formula Concord, which was the last document in the book of Concord, says this, the law and gospel are contrasted with each other. Moses himself, as a teacher of the law, and Christ as a preacher of the gospel, are contrasted with each other. In these cases, we believe, teach, and confess that the gospel is not a preaching of repentance or rebuke. It is the proper nothing other than a preaching of consolation and a joyful message that does not rebuke or terrify. Therefore, this is what these pastors are being trained to listen to, namely 
It's one thing to have faith, but it's another thing to explain that faith. And where some pastors confuse the situation, let's put it that way, they do so because they use similar words that the Bible uses, but with a definition that is contrary to the Bible. And we've touched that with faith, repentance, grace, and there are many more. So, Walther rejects and regards as incorrect the harmful teaching that the gospel, strictly speaking in the narrow sense, is a preaching of repentance or rebuke. No, it is a preaching of grace. And so this kind of ends the 26th evening lecture. In the 27th evening lecture, we're going to be taking a look at passages of Scripture where the word gospel is clearly used in the narrow sense. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. We'll be taking a look at that next Wednesday. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.